2: Hi everybody, welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He studied medicine and psychology in Freiburg, Germany, and completed his PhD on the involvement of autonomic nervous system in autoimmune disorders. He founded the Sophia Institute in 2012 and is actually involved in patient care at his clinic. Today we're going to be focusing on discussing Lyme disease. So Dr. Klinghart, welcome to the show.
3: Yeah, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor.
2: Um, so how did you get involved in treating Lyme disease?
3: Well, um, uh, quite honestly, um, Lyme disease was known under another name um, in Germany because it was uh, the this Black Forest area where it came from. is a heavily uh, tick-infested area, and so all the neurologists uh, in the area knew uh tick related neurological illnesses it just didn't have the hype around it or the the you know the public attention on it so uh, neurologists were uh, coping with it you know by uh, using a variety of treatments um, but that was you know when I went to medical school I had to do a internship in 1972 with a neurologist and he could actually go in a room of 20 people that was before everybody had their own room in the hospital so it was more socialized system so you could go in a room with 20 patients and look at the spend the two minutes three minutes looking at the different people and he could tell where These were all neurological and psychiatric patients he could tell not only what village everybody was from, but whether they were on the east slope of the the hill that the city was on or on the west slope or on the southern slope and he said yes the spirochetes that's causing all these illnesses um have a great uh, ability to mutate and to activate different genes for different expression of the illness, and he knows exactly where people are from just looking at the facial features. You know, t- tiny uh, the squinting of the eye on one side, not on the other, or or the mouth hanging on one side a little bit lower down than on the other side, and the the face being nicely perfused with blood on one side you know so pink and on the other side pale he he read those signs and it was amazing and so i i uh, i was very uh, familiar with sparrow illnesses and and quite honestly you know um dr Burg Dorfer was actually known uh, in those days because he was at the university in basel which was just uh, 40 miles uh, from us and he was the guy researching all the insect-borne illnesses and he was at our psychiatric clinic and, and just in the three months didn't and did there uh, many times connecting and he introduced us uh, students you know to as uh, kids, and of course that that's years before this is 19 we talk 19 well early 1970s and then um he was already going forth and back to new york where he was um uh, lecturing, you know, as a guest professor at the time. And so, so I, I was in contact with it early, and but also the, the illnesses related to it. And then, of course, when Lyme uh, became popular here, it was kind of a, a familiar, uh, familiar turf. What I was unfamiliar with is that long term antibiotic treatment was one option to actually get on top of it and that surprised me and there was a new idea and then of course we know that the variety of lime that spread from the east coast westwood had like some man-made components in it that made it much more vicious and much more deadly you know than the black forest variety the black forest variety people got thick swollen knees and they got um you know one hip joint kind of being bad. It was mostly an orthopedic expression, and uh, and some people the psychiatric expression. But we did not see the chronic fatigue and uh, uh, immune suppression that the American variety has, and that seems to be it is a recombinant gene. You know, there are some other genetic features that were acquired um, either in the lab or by accident uh, on the East Coast that made the at least certain types of Lyme disease so vicious, and I think we need to consider that idea more when two people have Lyme disease, that test positive in a Western blood test, that there may be completely different strains of Lyme. One may be absolutely lethal, and the other one may be quite harmless.
2: Um, So, yeah, I find that part quite interesting, Um, you know, having Lyme myself and having been treating it for almost 10 years, that... Um, you know, people are so dramatically different in how they present with it, but they're testing positive. And and have you seen that that change a lot over the years? Um, and what what have you been observing with that?
3: Well, um, so we, I mean, first of all, you know, we we we'll probably get into that later. But we developed in my office this uh, challenged uh, PCR testing, and so first of all we find these patterns now whether you have Lyme plus Bartonella plus Mycoplasma that looks different than when you have Lyme plus Babesia plus herpes viruses. And so it's it's really the um the combination of, of the co infections that makes the music. Um, and um, we found, you know, that really and other people have mentioned that that for example, Bartonella seems to be much more vicious, much more uh, dangerous uh, in terms of invading your brain and your spinal cord um, than Lyme. You know, Lyme is sort of a bug that has been around for a while with our system is already habituated to some degree, but the newer bugs that have come on board, you know, especially the new varieties of Bartonella and Babesia, and mycoplasma are far more vicious, and and create a whole other subset of symptoms. And so, uh, and then of course there is a huge variety of immune responses that the patient has that determines pretty much whether you will have an orthopedic expression, or or a, a neurological expression, or psychiatric expression, or immune deficiency expression of it it's a great variety Um, that's kind of different from other infections you know other infections pretty much you can map out okay when you have a strep infection you it may affect your heart it may affect your knee joints and it may affect your kidneys and and your brain you know so there's like four places where it can go to and it could be one of them or four of them but with Lyme we see everything (laughs) It, it, it can pretty much create any known symptom any known illness um, most of them which don't have a name I don't think this <laughs> the, the, the the weird kind of off neurological illnesses that we see we can pretty much now say that every neurological illness that doesn't have a traumatic cause like you know when the parachute parachute didn't open up and you fell uh, into a haystack you know and broke 15 bones, and then have some neurological problems. That's probably not Lyme disease, you know. But if you have the same kind of pain pattern, and you didn't have an accident, it probably is. So it's you know it's you cannot really by the symptoms you cannot really tell what it is. You have to test.
2: So um, I want to ask you more about your challenged PCR testing. And, and just so people listening who, who aren't aware, Lyme is, is difficult to test for. And I know that what you're doing, um, you're getting better results. So can you just explain how you go about doing that?
3: Yeah. So the, the original testing done in this country was done with a microscope. That was Dr. Burgdorfer and there was Alan MacDonald, you know, the brilliant pathologist who did all the early work dissecting Alzheimer's brain and finding an all-Alzheimer's brain, not just in some uh, living lime spout kit. And he worked with a microscope. And then because the microscope work is very tedious and you can only do it on tissues where actually the lime bugs sit, where they are, so it's difficult to you know, look into the brain of a living patient and kind of say, yes, you got <laughs> Lyme spirochetes in your amygdala. So uh, to to get a test that uh, that works, people in this country went to immune system-based tests. That means if the cells of your immune system travel through the body and they encounter Lyme disease, you know, so that they're, they're informing them, the, the thymus and other tissues of the illness, and then um, there should be, A a subpopulation of the white blood cells should be entrained to go after these bugs and that's sort of what you're ultimately looking for with the Western blood test and with the LTT test and the other IFA, IgG, IgM, all tests that depend on that the patient has a functional immune system that mounts a response and that you can see. Now uh, the trouble with that is that the very severe Lyme patients have not mounted an immune response in <laughs> in 10 years or 15 years, the system has completely been um, overwhelmed by the by the infection, and and basically um, paralyzed. You know, so there is no more viable immune response. You know, one of the indicators that you're aware of that we are using for that is the CD57 test. There's pros and cons for this test, but it's a test that shows that Lyme manages to virtually annihilate some population of natural killer cells of white blood cells that are supposed to be in charge of killing the Lyme, and instead the Lyme kills those cells and they just disappear. And so, and and if the cells that are supposed to secrete into the blood. The very markers that we're looking for in the lab. Yeah. So when when we do a Western blood, we, we're looking for um, for markers that are secreted in the blood by functional cells of the immune system. And so when we have those markers, great. You know, then yes, you have you probably have Lyme disease. But if you don't have those markers because your immune system is exhausted and cannot produce those markers anymore, then um, we Lyme lit with physicians know well that does not that does not mean you don't have Lyme disease it just means your immune system is not capable of mounting that kind of response and so the sickest patients that we've seen with Lyme, you know, with MS with ALS, with um, Parkinson's, with different expressions of the illness the sickest people that we've seen you know, people with severe chronic fatigue had negative Western blots and however you know, I developed a system, a manual system of testing using certain reflexes called autonomic response testing, which I've been using for over 30 years. And uh, with the system, we're finding, especially in that patient group, massive indicators for that they have Baltonella, that they have, um, you know, Borrelia, different types of Borrelia, that they have Mycoplasma, and so that they have Rickettsia and so we were looking for a better way of testing and and here's sort of the the short end that I think people can follow in chronic Lyme disease Lyme does not live in the blood the blood has the best immune system and who wants to live in the tissue that's the most hostile to you so the Lyme spirochetes set up sanctuaries that's a proper uh, term in medicine Lyme sets up sanctuaries in certain parts of the brain, spinal cord, the connective tissue, maybe in the right hip joint but not the left one, in the discs of the spinal column and other tissues. It is not in the blood. It occasionally strays in the blood if it gets by mistake, flushed out by some event, by excessive exercise or by a fall, a car accident. It may be flushed out from its sanctuary into the blood, and then you can find it, and then it sensitizes the system, and for a while you may actually have a positive Western blood, and then it's forgotten again. So in order, when you actually really want to prove the illness with By looking at the bugs or at least looking at the genes of the bugs which the PCR test is you actually have to look for it where the bugs are not in the tissue that's convenient you know so if you look in the blood for living spirochetes when they actually have completely infested your brain and nearly destroyed it but they're not in the blood and so be looking in the blood because that's what's convenient to look at and in the brain we can only like Alan MacDonald did, did we can only look post-mortem and so I just came up with the simple theory well let's use tools that chase the, enough of the bugs out from the brain or from the thyroid or from the disc into the blood and then chases from the blood through the kidneys into the pee because in the urine you're concentrating everything that's in the blood that's unwanted and so based on that we developed this test ne- called the RK protocol, where we use ultrasound and infrared light on the tissues where we um, suspect where the landmarks are, or with my ART testing, we already know exactly where the tissues are. You know, maybe the right prefrontal cortex and maybe the left temporal bone, and so we put ultrasound on those tissues um, for this. The whole treatment takes less than 10 minutes, um, and then follow that up with a particular infrared device that costs less than $20 that increases exclusion zone water that actually pushes the bugs uh, from the tissues that are hiding into the bloodstream. And then we collect the urine for six hours, and then we have a huge yield, huge evidence of the bugs that they actually were in those tissues that we treated and, you know, the first 150 of these tests that we did, we had two patients that were negative. (laughs) So 148 were positive, and it was very rare that somebody only had one bug. Most of them had, you know, the whole variety, the rickettsia, the aliquia, the, um, you name it, you know, the whole who's who of Lyme disease. And so, with that test, I, I hope it will become the gold standard, you know it's much more affordable it's less expensive than doing the IgG IgM test plus the western blood plus all the other things and uh, we're testing for 14 bucks right now and it's the test is about 500 bucks so that's not cheap but you know getting 14 of the co-infections for 500 bucks it's a lot less than the other tests and it's tissue specific we can Take a patient that got Parkinson's. Okay, we want to know what's causing the Parkinson's. So we just put the ultrasound and the infrared light on the brain. That's it. Okay. If somebody has a bad shoulder, we just we want to know if, the, if this is a microplasma shoulder, a Bartonella shoulder, or Borrelia shoulder, or none of it. We put the ultrasound and the infrared light just on the shoulder, and then collect the urine afterwards you know and then whatever comes out you know must be from that area now we can admittedly we should always test the urine before and do the test before so that's five hundred bucks <laughs> and then we do the ultrasound in the area. areas another five hundred bucks i have to say the lab in colorado is treating us very um... unfriendly you know they have not even though we've sent them thousands of Uh, of of samples Um, I still have even for myself paid the full price they're treating us like shit um, in in American language but it's the lab currently that uh, that we selected to do that, there was the old lab of Hal Huggins who was a very good friend of mine, he was the dentist who set it up and just to honor him and his creation we've chosen that lab and so they do good work but um, I think um, <laughs> in terms of uh, they seem to have absolutely no interest in the science behind it and actually the, they just published a thing on the Townsend data was completely wrong they just say, yeah just do a little bit of body work and then collect the urine it will show up well that's definitely not true you have to um, do this right and so but it's a fantastic simple test and the good thing is the ultrasound is FDA approved so there's nothing we use in there that will get people in trouble and the PCR test has the highest level of acknowledgement in the scientific community you know the, the PCR test looks for strains of DNA that are specific to a particular bug and you only find the DNA of a bug if the bug is in the system <laughs> yeah. and the DNA doesn't linger around for weeks or months so this is not that at some point you may have been exposed to it and now the dead bodies come out this is uh, these bodies were alive um, a few hours before and so it's it's a test that gives you in real time what people have and it's fantastic you know and it's like everyone we've ever thought everyone who walks in here with an orthopedic condition is positive everyone who walks in with a neurological condition is positive everyone with brain fog and chronic fatigue is positive positive. and so the the theory that all of this is Lyme disease is actually true
2: Okay. Well, you know, it, it makes sense to me to, uh, to do the PCR test where you're finding the DNA of the bacteria as opposed to looking for that immune response that, like you said, is either not there because you've had it for so long and it's attacked your immune system, or, um, you know, you could have already treated the infection. It could be gone. So you're dealing with what is there and, and instead of um, what feels like a guessing game
3: sometimes. Maybe I should say one last thing about that. Many of the Lyme literate physicians and leaders in the field have been very invested in the Western blood test and other immune system-based tests or the culture test that uh, Dr. Boroscano is uh, is involved in and have been very reluctant to embrace my PCR-based testing because it's a bit like the pharmaceutical industry, you know, when you're already invested, In something and have uh, built your whole practice around a certain kind of testing Um, we have not been welcomed by the rest of our medical community with this test which clearly is a revolution in Lyme diagnosing and actually leading to much better treatments you know because when you actually have a treatment where the PCR test turns negative um, you know you're succeeding and you have a treatment you know, where the Western blood test is disappearing, the patient either got a lot worse <laughs> or they may have gotten better <laughs> or the immune system may have gone to sleep. <laughs> so you, you don't really know that the LTT spot is a little bit more reliable in that way. But it's very, very difficult to know what you're treating by using the other conventional tests because they don't test for 14 bucks. It becomes not payable for people. And and certainly to do follow-up every couple of months uh, becomes impossible financially. Just among that, you know. And the beautiful thing with our test is is it's urine-based, so we can do it on newborn babies. We can do it on toddlers, on on young children. We can do it on the whole autistic spectrum because these kids, you know, to take blood from them is akin to torture. (laughs) at least for the physicians doing it or the nurses doing it. You know, there's going to be screaming. You're going to have to hold them down with six people. And with the urine as well, yeah, not a big deal. You know, collect the urine. And and you can diagnose it all that beautifully. And they don't mind the ultrasound either. We can do the ultrasound on any autistic kid. By the way, all the autistic kids, you know, have Lyme. So, to uh, we're
2: going to uh, talk about that more. Um, I definitely want to uh, talk about um, the other complications. We're going to take a quick break. Um, we're talking today with Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He's been treating Lyme um, since the 1970s, and he's the founder, founder of the Sophia Health Institute. We'll be back shortly.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You
1: probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel.
0: Like many of us, do you feel constantly tired or run down? Weight gain, sugar addiction, stress, and other health issues wear down our bodies and our spirit. You can take control of these and get yourself back on track. Tune into Living Life Naturally with host Lynn Wadsworth. Lynn can help you lower or get rid of migraines, help you maintain a healthy weight, deal with hormone imbalances, and more. Listen live every Friday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, Be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Hi everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking with Dr. Dietrich Klinkhart and we're discussing uh, chronic Lyme disease. So, Dr. Klinkhart, before the the break, um, you did mention that a lot of neurological illnesses, um, uh, you know, MS, ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, and autism are related to Lyme. And I know one of the complications, of course, um, is that our nervous system and our brains have a a protective barrier, the blood-brain barrier. How do you get around that so that you can treat these infections once they've got?
3: in there yeah so that's of course you know with treating the central nervous system that has been a a challenge even for the pharmaceutical industry to develop drugs that uh, cross the blood brain barrier and um, we you know we use uh, pretty exclusively herbs for for this for the purpose and so we had to investigate which herbs tend to cross the blood-brain barrier. And then the uh, published trick you know, to accomplish that with almost all the herbs is to make them uh, into a laposomal preparation. You know, laposomal means that you, you have that herbal compound in, in the middle, and it's wrapped around it. It's a tiny microscopic bubble of an oil, so it looks on the outside like an oil, and on the inside it's, it's watery. And so, um in this form, the first of all, the absorption when you when you um give kids or adults a liposomally prepared herb, it's absorbed into the lymphatic system, not um, into the uh, absorptive mains in the gut. it's It's absorbed into most of it is absorbed into the lymphatics and travels up the thoracic duct, and from there it goes into the venous system. So, it already on this pathway and already cleans up one of the major structures in the lymphatic system, which is the thoracic duct, and then spills from there into the veins and then into the general circulation. And the um, the uptake in the brain uh, can be increased with different other methods, you know, and the, the main one that we're using is the same one that we use for the testing, is a combination of ultrasound and infrared light. So we have a way of testing if um, supplements or herbs or antibiotics arrive in the brain or not. And that is not generally known. That Very often there is a drug uptake problem in the brain where the brain just won't take up uh, medications that are aiming at killing the bugs that live in the brain that was first discovered by Dr. Umura in New York. And so adopted from me, the a technique that we have to check if a drug arrives in the brain. And based on that, we found that the most common um, issue that prevents the crossing of medicine that should cross the blood-brain barrier in the form that we deliver it, um, the, the most common obstacle why it's not taken up are infections in the jawbone, you know the so-called dental cavitations, and right next to it is root-filled teeth, and sometimes just simple metal crowns or devitalized teeth. So, but that's the most common issue in children. The most common issue is uh, chronically infected tonsils. They completely prevent the uh, the uptake of medicine into the brain, and to understand that it's pretty simple you know if there's a constant toxic stream coming from your mouth or your throat uh, the blood-brain barrier simply closes down it closes business because otherwise it would destroy the brain the, the brain and so but that brain will have brain fog in because you get less oxygen less perfusion less nutrients entering the brain everything is less and also the medication we put people on is less and so what we found what is uniformly very, very important to clean up the mouth of patients and to clean up the tonsils in patients. Sometimes it's scars on the body. Sometimes it's the thyroid that's dysfunctional. But I'd say 90% of the blockages of uptake in the brain of things that are prepared in a way that should be taken up. So the common blockages is either in the jawbone area or in the tonsils, and so, and so we've developed a whole teaching of how to deal with that, and where to go to to get the help. Of course, we don't do dental work in my office anymore, so we send people to uh, dentists are highly skilled and highly trained in doing this right, because. The Lyme patient is not an easy patient, <laughs> as you know, they're usually um, more demanding than other patients are more difficult, they're more reactive to if you do something that's imperfect. so we um, we went through that over the last twenty years to find uh, what dentists need to know. and dentistry is a fast evolving science right now, and so it's actually getting reasonably good at what it's doing where we still have trouble is if you need the, the tonsils taken out in a child to have the ENT dog agree to that um, a lot of the the uh, adults and kids you know have um, a subset of symptoms that's called uh, PANDAS or PANS um, that uh, there's a blood test It's called the Cunningham panel that most of our patients are positive it shows that uh, that uh, people have confused immune systems but it's all affecting the blood-brain barrier Yeah, but so the, the trick that we're using is we're looking for obstacles for the uptake and then we make the preparations even the, the antibiotics to make them uh, liposomes so they can cross the blood-brain barrier in that form and then we use infrared light devices and ultrasound to actually temporarily open up the blood-brain barrier when we give something like we like um, you know we don't use conventional antibiotics I like artesanate which is a a Nobel Prize winning injectable extract of wormwood Um, and we use other things even intravenous vitamin C if you want to enter that have that enter the brain it's important that ultrasound and infrared light is used on the blood brain barrier certain spots on the skull uh, where those things are applied and that temporarily opens up the blood-brain barrier and you get a much higher uh, transfer of medicine into the brain um, of course you know there is there'scra cycle therapy there are certain lymphatic techniques there is other ways of of facilitating that but it's a largely overlooked issue one of the biggest issue is uh, CCSVI you know that's the chronic cerebral spinal venous insufficiency that Lyme and especially rickettsia creates inflammatory changes in the veins in the anterior neck area those are the veins that drain the blood from the brain and in response to that the veins close down they become narrow and then what happens you know if there's no blood going out of the brain they can't go in the brain and so most of our Lyme patients have a decreased perfusion of the brain um... and so th- and then the important issue becomes a purely mechanical issues of how to open up the the anterior neck veins so to increase the blood flow to the brain um, we had a couple of uh, wonderful places in the u.s that did that work they all kind of went out of business because insurance wasn't paying it and there was a general war between the uh, hematologists and the, the, the blood vessel internists you know the vascular people and the neurologists you know the nor- neurologists were afraid that it was that it was discover- discovered with that that many neurological diseases are actually vascular diseases and they were losing their patients so they just um, basically got rid of the procedure that opens up these veins. <laughs> so we found uh, different uh, topical creams that um, actually deliver a, a vascular opening impulse to the anterior veins, and that works uh, well, and, and that's sort of what we're doing. You know, So this is different from the blood-brain barrier. You know, this is, the, this is the vascular issue. There's a few other issues, but the last thing I want to mention is that the uh what's in the literature the most healing agent for a defective blood brain barrier that neither opens nor closes properly is progesterone. And so we um temporarily in women uh, we use pretty high doses of bioidentical progesterone not in order to fix the hormones but to fix the blood brain barrier. That's published and it uh, works beautiful and in men we have to be a little cautious with the dosage but uh, temporarily we do not hesitate to give men uh, 25 milligrams or so of progesterone um, and that has been hugely helpful to move the blood-brain barrier in the direction of healing and the last thing about the blood-brain barrier is the blood-brain barrier is formed by the astrocytes those are the connective tissue cells on the inside of the brain that wrap their arms around the, or their hands around the blood vessels and prevent toxins from entering the brain and unfortunately the astrocytes are extremely, extremely sensitive to mercury and get destroyed by the smallest amount of mercury and since now, the the even the ambient air content of mercury has hugely gone up in the last decades. Uh, if people had silver amalgam fillings, which are really mercury amalgam fillings, they have a huge um, exposure to uh, mercury vapor in the brain. And then, of course, there are several vaccines that still contain mercury. And all of that blocks and destroys the blood-brain barrier. And so uh, detox of mercury should always be an integral part of making the blood band barrier functional and this is pretty much a complete list of the obstacles why uh, people are long-term on antibiotic therapy and need like three or four years to get any sense of improvement or never get there um, we don't need that much and we don't need antibiotics because by eliminating those blockages we can be- to get beautiful results with lapisomal herbs, and that's at least what I do, and and it works for most people.
2: Well, you know, I've I've had that that same experience, um, and I didn't use antibiotics for my my treatment, and, uh, you know, I did get better, and I think that we have... It's such a complicated illness and so many options uh, available to us that we should be assessing all of them so that it can become less complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He um, has been treating Lyme since the 1970s and is the founder of the Sophia Health Institute. We'll be back shortly.
1: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business and more on demand
0: 24/7. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated tune in to Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo. to bust through the myths about feeding your baby Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey listen every Monday at 6pm eastern time 3pm pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Addiction
1: can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives. But most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray lynch mondays at 8 p.m eastern time 5 p.m pacific time on the voice america health and wellness channel hope is in your corner
0: your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
2: Hi everybody, welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He is the founder of the Sophia Health Institute and has been treating Lyme neurological diseases and autoimmune disorders um, since the 1970s or uh, for a very long time. Um, So, Dr. Klinghart, with the uh, complications of Lyme. I mean, we mentioned this when we talked about the testing that, you know, some people's immune systems aren't working or, they're you know, they get some autoimmunity. So how do we work on that so that we can get their immune system regulated?
3: Yeah, so um, it's important to know that pretty much all of us are in agreement that Uh, when we look at the volume of a patient's symptom and the variety of it, that over 90% of the symptoms in a patient are caused by the patient's immune response and less than 10% are caused by the microbes uh, and their activity in the system. That seems to be very, very clear. And so... What uh, our immune system does to Lyme, which is published, it mounts an ineffective immune response. And, uh, for example, we know that the outside uh, surface markers of the Lyme spirochete look identical to the myelin of sheets of our nerves, and so the immune system, poor immune system, instead of attacking the Lyme spirochete, attacks the myelin. And so you get all these neurological problems and MS. Um, And depending on what surface markers, Lyme and their friends, you know, the core infections, what surface uh, markers they're presenting, the immune system is not able to localize and identify these bugs and kill them, but it will attack any tissue in the body that looks similar. And that's your chronic pain. That's your brain fog, you know, that's inflammation in the brain, Um, it's the the bladder symptoms and kidney symptoms that people have, Um, it's really every symptom, including the vascular illnesses that come from it, the immune reactions, trying to kill the bugs that live inside the endothelium, rickettsia, like, so live there, Um, and, and so... The immune system thrashes around and destroys many of the patient's tissues that look somewhat alike what they they know the bugs look may look like. That's one thing. But then also, we know from Alan MacDonald's work that Lyme's bugs actually live inside the vagus nerve. They live inside the several motor nerves until you get sciatica and. And then what happens is that the immune system attacks the very nerves that we need that are vital for us, attacks them and inflames them, looking for these bugs, but isn't able to mount an appropriate successful immune response. And so many of us uh, physicians really under the guidance of the American Academy of Environmental Medicine and especially the work of Ty Vincent um, have realized that um, we, what the patient is suffering from is not the Lyme Sparrow Keith or the Bartonella or the Babesia. what the patient comes to us for is the suffering that they have and that's caused by the patient's own immune system and we can down regulate the immune system without destroying it and without using steroids by basically using uh, homeopathic doses of uh, preparations made from the same microbes yeah, that's sort of the low dose immunotherapy and I went sort of a step further um, this is and this is sort of probably the last thing I'm going to say the beautiful new uh, treatment that is 200 years old 200 years old there was a Russian general who um, used he was also a homeopath he was a friend and student of Hanuman um, and Napoleon went to war in Russia and Lost 95 percent of his troops from a chronic infection that has been recently identified as it was Bartonella quintana, a form of Bartonella, and on the Russian side, less than five percent of the troops died. And it's the anecdotal um, report how kozakov dealt with that with the infection was fascinating. So he had people he used a form of auto-urine the therapy, you know, sort of, he had basically uh, created a, a dilution of the patient's urine. Uh, of, of Every soldier had to basically pee in their jar in the morning, then rinse it out with water, uh, succuss it, rinse it out one more time, and then drink it. And so that's uh, called an LM potency in homeopathy. And I took that report serious. And so, um, you know, a patient that is under treatment, um sheds a lot of um, Lime Spaukes, Bartonella, breakdown products of Babesia in the urine It comes out in the pee. And the general rule in homeopathy, you know, if you have something toxic and you make a homeopathic preparation to it, it creates its own antitoxin. So we use the patient's urine, succuss it homeopathically in a certain way, and then that's what the patient drinks it several times a day. And those results are, in my experience so far, superseding the results of the low-dose immunotherapy. And I don't have to buy a single thing. Yes, all in the patient's urine. comes out all naturally. You know, the mercury is in there, the lead is in there, the glyphosate. Uh, all the toxins the patient has are trickling out and then making homeopathic dilution of that, antidotes, that and accelerates the further excretion of those things. And that's um wonderfully successful simple inexpensive and i've been using that principle in my german following austrian and swiss following and i I have an active license in england so we've treated thousands of people who have absolutely no money just with that with fantastic results and so but it's just modulating the immune system, you know, and and you can document that, uh, you know, the CD57 count goes up, their white blood count goes up, all the indicators that the immune system was down. Uh, you can see that there's very real, not just a uh, psychological <laughs> improvement, but there's very real improvement of of the people at no cost. and. I know there is many other approaches. You know, most of the herbs that we are using are also immune modulating. Um, uh, we use a lot of um, bowel bacteria. You know, the Mega Spore Biotic and the um, the the, um, the Bravo Yogurt uh, Bravo Yogurt suppositories that 42 different healthy microbes. They're all uh, attempts to modulate the patient's immune system back to a healthy, functional system. And I know uh, that that's the future of of Lyme treatment, to do 90% of that and maybe 10% of the killing. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'd like to leave it there
2: well that that's perfect um i you know I think that's a a lot of information and puts Lyme definitely in a nutshell for everybody um so hopefully uh that that helps um uh, is is there a way uh, that people can get more information if they need it at all
3: uh, Yes, we have a, a a couple of websites the main one is klingheartinstitut and the other one is SophiaHealthInstitute.com. That's my practice. And then uh, we have uh, clean out Academy. That's sort of um, a local teaching, and more has to do with my RT uh, testing. But uh, either one of those three websites will provide people with a lot of guidance and things that they can, you know, also DVDs you can look at, uh, booklets and and things and. I, I did write a book on the biological treatment of Lyme disease. Uh, it's out in Germany. It's been very, very successful and sought after. And we translated the book. We're just uh, still suffering trying to find somebody who wants to publish it here in the U- US. So if you know anybody, I'd be very grateful to hear. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, Well, I look forward to reading that, so um, hopefully that falls into place for you um, soon so that we can all benefit. And I know um, whether people are a practitioner or a patient, um, attending your courses or even watching the DVDs are extremely helpful um, in understanding this illness and and what you can do for yourself as well and you have so much information i think we could have probably talked for a week and not not covered it all okay. so thank okay. you so much for for giving me an hour of your time today I'm, I'm extremely honored that you join me
3: well it goes both ways you know thank you very much and i'm um, actually have to go back to see patients so thank you <laughs> and i hope uh good things come out of it yeah
2: all right. Okay, thank you so much. Um, today we we're talking with Dr. Dietrich Klinghardt. Um, he's been treating Lyme for uh, many, many years and we benefited from some of his wisdom. I want to thank everybody for listening and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks.